You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field, but what we lack in proximity, we make up for in film study. And each and every week, we'll be bringing you in-depth film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. I am joined by BGN's own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I am very good. Uh, Eagles beat Dallas. I don't know why, but we all know the rivalry with the Cowboys is the biggest one. Uh, this was a really weird one because I'm not sure I enjoyed the game as much as I should have considering we beat Dallas because it just felt awful. And then I'm not really sure I enjoyed watching the All-22 very much, actually. Um, I feel like certain things stressed me out more than maybe normal. So it's a weird one. I feel like I should be really, really enjoying this victory. And I feel like the mood online is sort of similar. Like even when I posted my clips yesterday, there wasn't like loads of people replying positively. There was, and I think it's a sign of how good this team are, by the way, that they can win games against very good teams and people are still expecting more. Um, but yeah, we'll sort of get into why, but it was a really interesting one because there were so many positives and there's also so many things that left us scratching our heads a little bit. But at the end of the day, I said this to you on text Monday morning, all the Eagles do is win. And this team is so, so good at winning. And it can't be overstated how good they are at winning. So although we're going to get in depth, as we always do, we're going to talk about all the little things we are going to nitpick because that's what we do here. And that's what I exactly what I think the coaches should be doing over the next week, by the way, uh, with their week off. Um, despite all that, I, I can't say enough about how this team wins. They just win games consistently. Um, and it's pretty incredible, actually, just how many close games they seem to pull off at this point. But yeah, I think we've got some good and some bad in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's amazing to me how much longer it takes me to watch All-22 now to prep for this podcast. Just doing the All-22 videos, like there were specific things, specific plays I would watch closely. And now I feel like I have to watch every play like eight times because I have to see if the pass rush got home and I need to see the top of screen corners. And then I got to watch it again to see the bottom of screen corners. And then I need to see the safeties and the linebackers. And it takes me so much longer to watch the film, but I'm always anxious to hop on here and compare notes. So we're going to dive into our offensive takeaways. Offense is up first this week. Before we do that, though, if you guys are enjoying this episode, enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Any feedback you can give us there uh, to help make this show even better is greatly appreciated. So please take a moment to do that if you haven't already. Uh, we also love the comments on YouTube and things that helps boost the show in the algorithm as well. So let's dive into the offense. We're each going to have three points uh, on each side of the ball. My first point that I want to talk about is the way that the Eagles respond to adversity. And so I'm going to put up on the screen here. I want to talk about the first drive. Uh, this will be up on Twitter later for those of you not watching. But the Eagles are moving the ball. They're into Dallas territory. 
and all of a sudden you have a delay of game and it's first and 15. And then on first and 15, Jordan Mailata just gets beat off the edge. Jalen Hurts gets strip sacked. The Eagles are really fortunate to fall on this ball. And it's, it wouldn't be the only time in this game they were fortunate in regards to fumble recovery luck. But suddenly you're at second and 23. And all the statistics show that like a sack is almost as damning to a drive in terms of EPA as an interception is. It's just a drive killer. You're at second and 23. And on second and 23, the Cowboys show a single high coverage. At the top of the screen, A.J. Brown is in the slot, and the defender that's over him is giving him a lot of cushion because he's going to bail out into a split field look. I think Hertz and Brown realize this, and they adjust this route, and Brown just sits down. Little eight-yard stop route, get him the ball, and now all of a sudden, instead of third and 23, you're down to like third and 12. That's That's good. We're giving ourselves a chance. And then on... I said third and 12. It's actually third and 15 on third and 15 Dallas or the Eagles go empty. And one of the things I love about empty is it makes the defense tip their hand. One of the things the defense loves about empty is that if they put five guys up to rush, they can dictate matchups and they dictate a matchup with Micah Parsons rushing against Tyler Steen, who we'll talk about more later. And he just, it's like Tyler Steen's not even there. He just blows by him. But because it's off-man coverage, A.J. Brown on a little slant route saves this play. And so uh, you get the snap. He's going to break off the route. It looked like the clip froze there, but that's okay. All of a sudden, you're at a fourth and three. Fourth and three. The Eagles already went for it on a fourth and one from their own like 34-yard line. They're going to go for this fourth and three. And you can't tush-push it, so they go to everybody's favorite concept. It's crash, right? Except this time, the two things I want to point out on – well, I'll leave one of them for later – One thing I want to point out on this play is we've seen them throw a crash time and time again in short yardage situations to A.J. Brown on the in route. This time it goes to Dallas Goddard from the slot running this corner route. A.J. Brown's covered up. Hertz puts a beautiful ball on Dallas Goddard to move the chains. The Eagles would score on the very next play. And I think it's so uh, telling about this team, the way that they respond to adversity. You see it in the Dolphins game when you get the pick six, right? Where Hertz is hit as he's throw, or it was batted up into the air. You've seen them time and time again respond to adversity. And that's one of the things I love most about this team. You, you see it coming out of halftime when you're trailing your last drive, you're moving the ball, and then it gets cut short when Hertz gets his knee hit. You come out of the halftime down 60 plays, six or 60 yards on six plays, you score a touchdown including a Hertz scramble. That's where you get the beautiful 29-yard throw to Devontae Smith. It, it can't be overstated how nothing ever snowballs for this offense. It just doesn't. It doesn't matter what happens. You can have a holding and get to first and 20. You can be at second and 23. And you just never truly feel like a drive is over because they're so good at clawing back in in these situations. So that was the first thing that stuck out to me. There was a lot of adversity in this game. I thought they answered the bell really well. Yeah, and on that, I'm a massive believer in culture. I mean, I'm a big sports fan in many other sports, not just um, the NFL. And I think I always wonder where culture comes from, who drives it. A lot of people say, is it the owner? But we've seen Jeffrey Lurie have some good teams and some bad teams. So I think Jalen Hurts clearly drives the culture of this team. And I think he basically summarizes how the Eagles respond to adversity basically better than anyone because he is so level-headed. I think there was a quote he gave once in a press conference where he said, never get too up, never get too down. And it sort of sums him up as a professional. 
But there are so many good leaders in this locker room as well. Um, and I count Sirianni as well. But let's be honest, Sirianni's a first-time head coach. I don't suddenly believe he's this unbelievable culture guy that's brought everything with him. I think I look at players like Jason Kelsey, AJ Brown. Um, there's a lot of leaders on both sides of the ball, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham on the defensive side. And they just have a really, really good mix of responding um, to adversity. Speaking of responding to adversity, that's going to take me into my first comment this week. Because uh, I think, to be honest, you covered everything I wanted to say there. I did have a few points to mention, but you stole them from me. And the beauty of this podcast is we don't really plan this. We plan our points, but then we just sort of talk about it. Um, the Eagles are going to have to respond to adversity because they're going to come up with the toughest stretch of their season this year. And they're going to have to do it without Dallas Goddard, who, in my opinion, is the second best receiving option on this team. Um it's going to be really tricky. So I want to talk, we don't really talk about Dallas Scott very much. Um, when you've got AJ Brown and you've got such a good running game, he sort of goes under the radar. But let's talk about exactly what he is. He is arguably, I think, up there with the most complete tight end in the NFL. I think he's definitely top five or top six. But in terms of all-roundness, if that's a word, um, he can straight up block. Like, he can straight up handle one-on-one matchups. He doesn't really get used to chip very often because he's too good as a um, root runner. But they use him a lot in split zone. So they use him a lot as a blocker coming across the formation. And that looks easy. Um, go and watch the Eagles' last offensive play of this game with AJ Brown trying to do his job. It's not. Timing on those things is really important. And he doesn't just block Dallas Goddard. There are certain tight ends, and I think of like Kyle Pitts, who does enough. And you say, oh, yeah, he, he, can, he can block. He can do enough. Now, Dallas Goddard is a plus blocker. He is a legitimate good blocker. Um, as well as that, he's a fantastic receiving option. He runs the best intermediate out route there is on the Eagles roster. And he did it on that concept you just showed a second ago of crash. It's a really, really nice um, route. The way he leans into the defender to create just a yard of separation is really impressive. So then I look at what the Eagles have got now. They've got um, Jack Stoll, who I love as a blocker, but he's very much a blocker only. He is not running that route we just saw Dallas Goddard run. I've seen people talk about like a Julio Jones, like could he play like this because he's big? And I mean, no. Like he, he might line up a little bit as a, maybe as a tight end, a bit like AJ Brown did on his touchdown this week when he lined up in the backfield and ran that split zone uh, flow motion on the RPO where he got a touchdown. But Julio Jones is not a tight end. Um, let's be honest. He's not going to be a plus blocker. You, you can have Dallas Scott taken on um, edge defenders. You've seen him take on defensive tackles on trap and wham plays in the past few years as well. So it's really interesting to see what the Eagles do. Um, Jack Starr was obviously the really, really easy option. And I was watching this game thinking, next man up, next man up. And then, Shane, I watched uh, play 10 of my Fred, which is a play that I'm not going to moan about because it's the deep shot to AJ Brown on third and three. I don't like it. I wouldn't have taken the shot there, but you will never hear me moan about aggressive plays. And I want you to watch Albert O, 85. Number one, he's absolutely huge. So he chips a defender, and then he runs this intermediate uh, route across the middle of the field and he looks as smooth as a tight end as you will see and i scoured him heavily when the eagles traded i believe traded a late pick for him or they did didn't they, they traded something late for him um i scouted him a lot because i was really interested in him he is a terrible blocker and i mean as bad as it gets blocker when I've seen him in the past like he there were snaps when he didn't compete quite frankly his effort level was abysmal but he is as natural as a runner as you will see. Like, I mean, he has snaps where he looks like a six foot five wide receiver and he is big. And when you see that snap, you just see the sheer size of the man and you think oh, there, there's something there. There is absolutely something there. So I am fascinated. My gut tells me the Eagles will go to Jack Stone because that's what the Eagles do. They're next man up. 
I'm really interested to see if they give Albert O a shot because what he can do is he can run the same side of routes that we've seen Dallas Goddard run. He can run that crash. Uh, he can run sort of shallow crossing routes across the middle of the field, what we also see Dallas Goddard do. He can run the screen game. Can he hold up as a blocker? And that's the big question. So we speak about responding to adversity. It's something the Eagles do well, and they're going to have to do it soon with for about four weeks at least with Dallas Goddard out. But being realistic, I don't like the sound of the injury, and it could be a... I would say it's four weeks minimum on IR these days. So we'll see. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what they'll do at tight end, um, but I'm interested and my gut, my own personal gut, not about what the Eagles would do, what I would do, I would throw Albert O a chance, give him a bone and see what he does because you never know the Eagles might end up finding something that actually could add a little bit of a different layer to the offense, whereas Jack Stowe was your safe guy, but he is not going to do anywhere near the amount of stuff that Dallas Goddard does in the receiving game. Yeah, I think you're going to definitely see Alberto because Grant Calcaterra, who has, he retired from football in college because of concussions. Uh, Unretired, got drafted. He got a concussion in the week eight, went over Washington and did not play on Sunday. That's why uh, Alberto was active for one of the first times this season. I think you're going to have to see Jack Stolen Alberto, Alberto out there and I like Alberto. I was I was saying the Eagles should trade for him last year at the trade deadline because I said that an injury to Dallas Goddard was one of was the most devastating non-Hurts injury that this team could have. And I like him. You, what you mentioned is spot on as far as his blocking. I, I do think a little bit of that came comes down to like he was just done in Denver. But he's not a good he's not a great blocker anyways. And so I think you'll see him some. It, it does hurt to lose the dual threat of blocking and receiving you had in Dallas Goddard. But part of me says the Eagles are not running the ball well right now anyways. So maybe that's less important. We just need a guy that can contribute in the passing game uh, until the run game gets going again, which hopefully happens with Jurgens coming back. Hopefully Hertz is able to heal up some over the bye week, but uh, how the Eagles respond at tight end is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, and one final thing, and I'll let you get to your second point. Um, I'm a huge believer of 12 personnel. Um, always have been. I've written about it extensively quite a few years ago, actually, about the benefits that 12 personnel gives you. Um, and I actually did a little bit of research and looked at teams that were best at 12 personnel and when it works. And basically, in very simple terms, 12 personnel only works if both of your tight ends can block and catch. Because otherwise, it's too predictable. So 12 personnel basically works if not one of them is a receiving tight end. They have to be out of block. So it's all very well, Albert O being a tight end, but if he literally shows the same blocking I watch in Denver, teams are not going to treat him like a tight end at all. They'll just put a cornerback or a safety on him and they'll be completely fine because his blocking was that poor. I don't think Jack Stoll is good enough as a receiver to make it work. So I'm not sure I want too many snaps of 12 personnel moving forward without Dallas Goddard. Um, I, I, I'm saying that as someone who likes 12 personnel. If you've got Jack Stoll and Albert O on the field and then... Uh, a Julio Jones on the sideline or a um, even a Kenny Gamer on the sideline. I think I'd rather see more 2-1 personnel pony package. I think I'd rather see more 11 personnel and get Julio Jones or get uh, Zacchaeus on the field. Um, I think 12 personnel might be done for a little bit, which is a little bit of a worry because the Eagles don't do a great deal personnel-wise. They're pretty set in stone. Um, so I think we might have to see 2-1 uh, come back because I don't think 12 personnel with Jack Stowe and Albert R is really what you want to do personally. Um, 
Right. Do you want to get to your second point? I'll let you go again. So Tyler Steen, um, debut, obviously. I've, I know what we're going to do each week is try and watch a few players quite closely as well so we can mix it up. Uh, so what did you see from Tyler Steen in his first game? Yeah, so Tyler Steen uh, had the lowest PFF pass blocking grade of any offensive lineman in week nine at 13.2. Uh, they charted him out with allowing six pressures on 32 pass blocking snaps. Uh, they did give him a decent run grade of 66.3, which if you're unfamiliar with PFF scale, uh, like a 60 is like average. So anything above 60 is a plus player. So they said he was a plus run blocker and a dreadful pass blocker. Now, this isn't me endorsing PFF grades. Um, I generally think they do pretty decent with like line play, uh, not so well with like secondary play. Uh, or quarterback play particularly, but uh, I cut up a bunch of clips. I have an all 22 video up on Steen and uh, it goes through a lot of these. I'm mostly just going to play these and kind of talk about what I saw, but I thought there were times that we saw him do really well. This first snap, he's one-on-one with Chauncey Golson. And I think he does a really good job firing his hands, staying in front, letting the ball come out. This next one that's going to show it's that one-on-one with Parsons where he gets beat inside on that third down and he just oversets to the outside. He's leaning and Parsons makes him look silly and Parson makes a lot of guys look silly. So what I love is the very next play on fourth down, he's one-on-one with Jonathan Hankins and he does a really good job of holding up and he allows hurts the time to come off of his first read, which is that in route to AJ Brown and hit that second read to Dallas Goddard. So I thought that one was good. Here's a run blocking, uh, no, this isn't a run blocking rep. He's one-on-one again here. He's passing off uh, a stunt, a two-man game, and he's slow. Like, he's slow kicking his guy out, and he gets beat inside. Fortunately, you know, Hertz is able to get outside the pocket there. Uh, this next one, he's going to get beat by Demarcus Lawrence on the outside. Demarcus Lawrence is more of a run stuffer these days, but he used to be a really good pass rusher. He's got good moves. He gets by Steen here. Steen maybe gets away with a little bit of a hold, but allows Hertz to get up the middle. Um, On this next one, this is one of my favorite ones. He's going to take Demarcus Lawrence outside, or excuse me, inside, and then he's going to recover to Dorrance Armstrong crossing his face. I thought this was a really good job of passing off a two-man game in the middle. Now, Hertz ends up being sacked. This one wasn't on Steen. That's the one where he hurt his his knee. Uh, And then you get him in the running game. He does a good job here displacing Chauncey Golson. I thought number 99, he's able to, I mean, look at the push that he gets here. He gives, uh, he gives the running back the opportunity to take it outside. He cuts it back inside, but either way you get a pretty good play. Uh, There's another example here of him blocking Osa Odigizua, number 97, and he blocks him out of the play. He gets him off to the side and is able to shield him off and open up a running lane. And then the final one I'll show here is him getting to the second level, targeting Marquise Bell, the linebacker number 14, uh, gets up to the second level and does a good job locking onto him. So I thought what I saw generally reflected what PFF said in terms of, I thought he did pretty good in the running game. I thought there were some struggles in the passing game. Um, it says a little bit about my sickness as a film nerd that I just watched an entire game and made a video for a guy that probably won't play again the rest of this season because we expect Cam Jurgens to come back. I think that Eagles fans can feel good about Tyler Steen if he has to step in again. You talk about trial by fire. Getting one-on-one with Micah Parsons in your first start. And by the way, he was a tackle playing right guard. 
I, I feel good about Steen's Steen if he needs to check in. Like if he had, you know, there's an injury in a game. Even you know if Jordan Mailata were to go down and all of a sudden he's playing left tackle, like none of that's ideal. But I feel good about his potential as a backup this year and as a potential starter. You know, pending however the Eagles shuffle their offensive line after we presume Jason Kelsey retires after this year. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that you can count on. So I was down on Tyler Steen watching it live. It just looked like he was getting murdered every play. And going back and watching it, I thought he rebounded. Like you can watch the cow from the Cowboys pers- perspective, Terrence Steele wrecked their offense at right tackle. Now, granted, right guards, not on as much as an Island. I thought Tyler Steen struggled at times, but it didn't wreck the Eagles offense. And so I think that's a testament to Jalen Hurts, Jason Kelsey, obviously helping him out at times, but, and to Tyler Steen, I thought he did a pretty good job in his first start against such a difficult assignment. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not going to go into any great detail on Tyler Steen, mainly because of timing and because you pretty much covered everything there. Um, I thought he was probably slightly better than you, but when you show a clip back, you can see there's a few maybe I missed where Hurts does bail him out a few times. Um, the thing for me is what you said at the end with backups, do they kill you? Are they okay or do they harm your offense? And you'd have to say this one does not harm the offense based on what we saw. They were fine. Biggest thing about Steen for me is he did not play a single snap of guard in college. And I remember this because I remember watching him quite closely um, when the, after the Eagles drafted him. And that really surprised me because his arm length and his size doesn't scream tackle to me. And I don't think I watched this game and thought, oh, he's going to play tackle in the future. I think he could quite reasonably be a guard. And I don't judge to be able to, I don't pretend I can judge offensive linemen's arm lengths from watching them play, but he doesn't look naturally big. He doesn't look like a giant wingspan. He doesn't look to me basically like a future starting tackle, not the size that he is. So I think he'll end up a guard. Um, some of you may remember, because it was one of my uh, bad takes, I did actually predict he may start this year. Um, I just had a feeling that he may play over Cam Jurgens just because of his sheer size in terms of strength. Um, I thought he was okay. I thought he did a pretty good job. I was not particularly worried about him. I think he would be my start over Suropeta, and I think I'm pretty sure you agree with that. If um, Jurgens does go out again, what will be interesting is whether he can handle different positions as a backup because he's gone from a tackle to a right guard, and I think expecting him to do other things as a backup might be quite tricky. Um, right, I'm going to get into my second one because I'm not going to talk actually too much about this because I spoke about it last week, and I hate to say like I got it right, but I said the Eagles' offense... I basically looked at the Eagles run game in a lot of detail last week. And I if I, I think I got it right. Like, I think what I said pretty much was proved to be spot on in this game. And I described the Eagles run game as a zone run game built around a mobile quarterback who can't run. And that is exactly how it feels watching the Eagles run game right now. And I had a lot of questions like, what went wrong? And I watched every uh, run snap. I mean, I watched every snap, but I watched the running game quite closely. There is nothing to go, oh, it's this, it's this, it's that. It just looks like the Eagles run game. They're not getting a great deal of push, but the Eagles don't often get a huge amount of push in the zone run game anyway. Um, The reason that it's limiting the offense is that they're doing none of the cool QB stuff. QB draw was a cheat code last year. They averaged like nine yards a carry on QB draw. They can't run it at all. QB counter bash, cheat code, can't run it. Uh, They're not running anything where the quarterback is basically carrying it. And you are now seeing edge defenders actually cheat down. And actually, Hurts did keep the ball once on a third third and two, I believe, where Micah Parsons tackled him for a four-yard gain. And he almost fell a bit awkwardly. Um, And I was a bit like, oh, it was after halftime. And that's because Micah Parsons just did not respect Hurts. Like, he had no – he really did not think Hurts was going to keep it. I did not think Hurts wanted to keep that ball. So I don't think the Eagles' run game is going to improve until Hurts can stop 
uh, start running, sorry, properly, because they are essentially a zone running game. And we look around the league and zone running games are being stopped easier than they used to be. This is not an outside zone league anymore where Shanahan's just running wide zone 50 times a game. Um, what was fascinating, and you knew I was going to mention this because I tweeted it straight away and I mentioned this last week, was one of the things I said last week was do changing their run game and going to a little bit more under center and do they get Rashad Penny going? And what did we see? First snap after halftime, under center, Rashad Penny, I think it was a six-yard game. Second play, he didn't do as well. Um, it was only a two-yard gain. But firstly, you see the difference for the angles it creates in the run game. Um, you can see the offensive lineman in particular, but also the way the running back just gets ahead of steam. Um, this is not a controversial take, and I hope it's not. I don't think DeAndre Swift is a workhorse back. Now, I think we've all gone a bit mad because DeAndre Swift had one or two really good weeks. I really like DeAndre Swift. He is a, at best, maybe a 15 carry back. I do not think you want him to carry the ball 20 times a game. He is not that type of runner. He is not built when the game gets tough. He is not built to wear down opponents. He definitely bounced it outside too often in this game. There were a couple of snaps I saw where he didn't follow blocks. And it wasn't even he's missed a huge hole. It was that, you know what, a bigger running back just puts his head down, runs into the defensive tackle, falls forward for three yards and gets five yards, whereas he was getting two or three. The Eagles running game is still, I believe, a massive part of the offense. If Jalen Hurts isn't going to be healthy maybe all year, who knows, or they're not going to run him until maybe later on in the season when they feel he's 100% healthy, I do not believe they can just keep running split zone, outside zone, inside zone, and rely on that working. Because to be blunt, I think good defenses are going to stop it. And I think they're going to stop it quite consistently. So whether it's Rashad Penny, I mean, I had Trey Sermon crush last year. He never played. I am... We always talk about my philosophy on this. I like bigger backs, and I get why the Eagles don't run with more heavy backs because they want their running back to be a receiving option as well. It's more unpredictable. I totally get that. But I think there is a role for a little bit more of a power running a running game. I would like to see some power. I would like to see some tackle trap. I would like to see some QB counter bash if we can get back to it. I think the beauty is the Eagles have got a week off now, and they ran one play from under center. Now, I have no idea why they did one play, but some of this Eagles offense just makes me laugh because they do some weird things. Um, I would love to know, why did you want, why did you do it once? And it worked. And he never did it again. And it was straight after halftime. So he obviously spoke about it. Did Penny do something wrong? Did he did he like say something after the second run? I, I don't know. But you are know they're going to go back and self-scout. And I have a very strong feeling this is quite a basic Eagles running game, which is unusual for a Jeff Stoutland-led running attack. I think we might see something different after the bye week. And I'm excited about it because at the moment, they are heavily reliant on Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown, which is fine. But I want to be able to win games in a lot of different ways possible. And I want them to be able to run the clock out. And this game, they couldn't do that. When it got to the end of the game and they stopped throwing it and they said, right, four minutes on the clock, let's run a four-minute drive. Last year, we saw run five yards, run four yards, run four yards. And they couldn't do it in this game. The offense could not seal the deal. And I think naturally this team wants to run the ball late in games. I think it's a reason why they're very good at the end of games. And I think the running game needs something different. Um, whether that is more a sharp penny, whether that's more power, um, whether that's more gap scheme, it needs a little bit of something new. Because at the moment, and it's weird to say this, it feels very predictable. Um, and it feels like the Cowboys 
didn't struggle too much uh, stopping the Eagles run game this week. Yeah, I thought of you uh, when they came out from halftime and went under center the first play. Actually, I was terrified when they did that because we saw, you know, we saw Hertz take the shot right before halftime and then limping off the sideline. When they came out and went under center and handed the ball off the first play, I thought Hertz is really hurt and the Eagles are about to run under center with Rashad Penny 20 times in the second half. And yes. that didn't happen, but that was the first thought that went through my mind. Just out of interest, did you think he moved a bit weirdly on the handoff as well? I watched it about 18 times because I was I was, I was just obsessed with the idea of, I, I love run game. Like different people have different things. I love run game. And that's why I love, one reason why I like scouting the Eagles and I want to see different things. I'm like, I don't I don't know where tackle trap's gone this year. I don't know where Wham's gone. I, I want to see a bit more. And he looked like he didn't really look very comfortable in the under center handoff. And whether that's one reason why they didn't do it, um, you do have to literally turn your back and hand it off. It's just weird, isn't it? Like one play. We're going to yeah. run one play under center and it's going to work and we're never going to do it again. It's somewhat explain why they obviously spoke about it at halftime. I really, like, I couldn't tell you what I, why they did that. But yeah, I, I had a feeling you'd think of me because it was quite funny that I literally mentioned it last week. And yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. That is what I felt about Eagles run game anyway. Johnny is like, I want to watch Rashad Penny under center runs happen 15 times a game. And if it's the same play, if it's just the same play repeating it 15 times because the Eagles only run it once, I'm going to do it anyways. So yeah, Hashtag run the ball. I'm not one of them. Don't worry. I'm not one of them. Yeah, I, uh, I would like to see them flesh that out. We talked about it a little bit last week, why the Eagles choose to be shotgun and the issues that causes if your mobility goes away. And, yeah. you know, we'll see how Hertz looks on Monday night after the bye. I, if you don't see Hertz running the ball with mobility in that game, I don't think you're going to see it again this year. Maybe yeah. if you get, you know, to rest him in week 18 and you get a buy, so you get like that three week break, maybe you get another chance to get healthy, but you're not going to get healthier in the grind of playing games. So seeing how he looks is going to be paramount. I do hope we start to see a little bit more under center, uh, especially with Rashad Penny, a guy that I was very high on part of me. You know, I said in the off season, Bubble wrapper Shad Penny, break him out in December. I mean, we're getting close. I I don't think that's what happened. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if the Eagles come out after the bye and they're handing the ball to Rashad Penny 15 times a game and he's looking like DeAndre Swift in week two when he wasn't used week one, I will fall out of my chair. Like the most big brain thing ever, if that was an intentional conscious thing that they did. I really don't think it is, but it would be really funny. It's definitely not. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, I'm not. Let's very quickly wrap up this point too. Rashad Penny was incredibly good when healthy. I think people sort of forget. Like numbers are off the scale. But like, it's really weird. He's just not there now. If his body's just totally broken down, then fine because he wasn't healthy anyway. But if he's still Rashad Penny, it's mad that he is sitting on the bench doing nothing. Like the numbers when healthy are insanely good the past two years um it is sort of bizarre that he's doing nothing yeah. um like behind boston scott and kenny gainwell so it's surely at this point we need to see if there's something there i know he gave an interview last week and said my explosion's not gone i just haven't had a chance to show it and yeah i would like to uh, know but we need to move on because i just realized we spent about 
as we do on this podcast, 30 minutes talking about Tyler Steen, run game, and a bit of tight end. <laughs> so that sums us up, really. We haven't even got to the defense where we're going to go mad today. So, right, let's get on to our third point. Uh, see what, I'll start. Okay, I'll start yeah. with Jalen Hurts, and then you can go on to a specific concept uh, you want to uh, speak about, a specific concept, sorry. So I just was so impressed with um, Jalen Hurts in this game, as I think everyone was. And I said it last week, or possibly the week before, you can take away his mobility now, and he's just flat-out good. Like, he is just a flat-out good quarterback. And shout-out to a uh, the guy in charge of BGN Social, who I still speak to about the game, uh, very knowledgeable, uh, Tyler Jackson who tweeted me a really interesting point. And he was saying he wonders if long-term this Hurts injury is going to help him because he's having to sit in the pocket more and he's having to realise that he can actually play from the pocket alone. And it could be that that ends up being beneficial for his long-term development. Um, the accuracy, the processing speed, the ball placement, it's just all there. Like, he's just there. He's just really good. And as someone who's doubted him early on in his career, I just I never saw this coming. And you've already shown the example of Crash. There's just two examples I want to talk about. Uh, the first one was on a third down. It's clip three on my timeline, if you're watching. So it's a third down. The Cowboys run one of the weirdest rotations ever, where it looks like single hire. And then one of their um, defenders is almost lined up in the box, goes sprinting back. And you'll see it on the clip. He turns around and runs back as if... Um, He's basically just getting to his half of the field. And the single high safety goes sprinting off to the left. They end up in a two high shell. And this means the throw to AJ Brown isn't there. Now, Hertz processes all of this and he realizes, right, we're running a sort of drive concept, which is like a high low. Again, loads of fancy names for it. But essentially, a shallow crossing route and a deep intermediate, um, whatever you want to call it, over dig, whatever. And he reads this out. He processes it perfectly. And he fits this ball into the smallest window. And when you see it from the backside view, it is not a big window. It is such a... And when you think of Jaden Hurts over time, what has he been criticised for? Processing speed. Right, he's done that. Bailing from the pocket when his first read's not open. Okay, proven that wrong. And um, also, throwing over the middle field. Now he's lasering throws through defenders straight uh, between linebackers in a high-low concept. Like, that throw to me was as good as a throw I think I've seen from Jalen Hurts. And I really, really liked it because it did everything that I've spoken about in previous weeks in terms of, or previous years, about where Hurts needs to improve. And then we get um, Devontae Smith's touchdown. So play six on my friend. And I mean, what can you say about this play? The way... It's, it's a very, very good, it's like a hitch and go by Devontae Smith, but the ball placement and the pocket movement is as high level as it gets. Like, this is old school pocket quarterback. There is nothing about this that reminds me of like a, a quarterback who wants to run. He takes his drop, sets his feet perfectly, steps up in the pocket to get a little bit of space. And when you see the ball placement, it is perfect. You could not put it in a better position away from the quarterback. He is as good as it gets in the league about throwing this vertical ball. And I've seen some of the stats you've been tweeting out about, um, you could argue he's been a number one quarterback in the league this year. I think NFL QB um, index, which I read quite a lot, has him number two this year. Um, uh, actually, that was last week. Possibly he's been bumped up again. I think sort of we take it for granted um, because I almost can't believe it myself. And I think we've gone through Carson Wentz and we've seen that, oh, maybe he's all going to regress. But Hurst is a different dude. He's just a different guy. He's, he's very different in how he conducts himself. Um, I just have not got enough good things to say about how Jalen Hurts can play from the pocket now. And it's really, really impressive. He's 25 years old and he, some of the things he's doing out there is high level. And it makes you wonder how good he's going to get. 
because the sky feels like the limit. And if his mobility can come back and he can start adding to the run game, there's almost an argument that the Eagles should maybe start considering building as much of a run game without Hurts because I don't want Hurts taking that many shots anymore. He is not someone who needs to run to succeed. And obviously you want mobile quarterbacks who can escape and create plays out structure. That is a given in 2023. You need that in the NFL. That's why I'm not taking Matt Jones in the first round of a modern day NFL draft ever. But saying all that, he wins from the pocket. Like he does it the right way. Wins in the pocket, create when you need to. I watched Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills offense struggling. And when they're struggling, Josh Allen just goes full hero, run, run, run. And I don't want Hurts doing that really. I, he's such a good pocket quarterback now. Uh, if he can just add a little bit more mobility to help out with a run game, then that's huge. But yeah, I just don't think we should take for granted how good this, how good he's playing basically. Um, I just looked at the notes, and were you going to break down the same concept that I broke down for my first play, or was it a different one? No, it's that it's that one, and I'll still get into it. But oh, I want to I want to touch a little bit more on. I tweeted this. Go out. for it. You guys can find this on my Twitter. Um, true dropback pocket passing stats. So this is pocket passes from inside the pocket, and true dropback means we're removing play action, RPOs, and screens. So all kind of crutches that help your quarterback. We're looking purely dropping back in the pocket and throwing the pass. I've got a chart, charts every quarterback with over 50 throws this year. You can go look at it. But Jalen Hurts ranks first in QB rating, first in completion percentage, second in touchdown percentage, third in EPA per play, third in success rate, first in boom rate, which is plays that generate more than one EPA, so essentially explosive plays, and first in bust rate which is plays that generate negative one or more, or excuse me, less wow. than negative one EPA. So essentially really negative plays. There is no other quarterback in the NFL that ranks top 10 in each of those categories. And Hertz is one, two or three in all of them. And That's insane. about his mobility over the last three weeks of the season, right? When he, they have not been designing runs for him because he's banged up. He trails only Kirk Cousins, who missed a game, is out for the season in terms of EPA per play. He's almost lapping Patrick Mahomes in EPA per play. He leads the league in EPA plus completion percentage over expectation. Like Hertz has been on a heater the last three weeks, and he's done it without one of his greatest weapons that makes it easier on it. And we've spoken about before how Hertz legs make this so much easier for him. They're gone. And he's still making it look easy. And so I'll briefly talk on this play. You talked about it as well. I think this is the best instance of post-snap processing I've seen from Hertz this year. Yeah. Uh, our concept of the week this week is drive. You can call it drive, levels, high-low, whichever way you want. The Cowboys show a single high safety. And so you're immediately thinking vertical route to A.J. Brown. But at the snap of the ball, uh, the safety that's down covering the point man in the bunch turns and bails. And so Hertz sees this immediately. He sees this safety coming over Brown and knows something has to be going on here. That's not open. So we get the shallow route from Dallas Goddard and this deep dig route from Devonta Smith. And for him to come off this first read, the first read is going to AJ Brown here. He comes off of that stands in the pocket, reads the curl defender. And when he comes down on the low route to Dallas Goddard, he delivers it over the top to Devonta Smith. And again, that you can call this drive, you can call it levels, you can call it high-low. Either way, we're reading number 14. As soon as he steps to Goddard, he just steps up and lets it rip. And, and that's a beautiful throw 
Uh, I'll put the clip out. Johnny's got it out. You guys can see what we're talking about later. But I can't say enough how great of a decision-making process that was by Hertz. Seeing the defense change the picture post-snap, recognizing something was wrong, and getting to his secondary read, his secondary high-low concept. So that was incredible stuff. I was really impressed by that throw with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and I get I do get a lot of comments about learning about the game. We we say this every week, but I've seen people call that shadow cross dig, call it drive, call it levels, call it high low. It doesn't matter. Loads of concepts basically. When you get a zone, a lot of concepts Eagles run. They're very good at this. Is they'll run two plays. So they'll almost have two plays on separate side of the field. They want a man and a zone beater, and it's quarterback's decision. When you get zone, best thing you want to do is flood areas or run a high low. That's basically classic. Uh, you if they've only got two zone defenders to the right hand side, send three defenders that way. Sail flood. Three level stretch. Uh, the other thing you can do is if it's cover two, uh, you can run a high low and try and hit that gap between the middle linebacker and the safety. When the Eagles get man coverage, single high letter fly, they will often just take a vertical shot to AJ Brown, as we saw on third and three. So you're bang on. He is definitely reading AJ Brown there. And pre snap, that is correct. And sometimes some callbacks are almost too good pre snap. Um, that Prescott is someone that I think is too good, too good pre-snap, where sometimes he'll throw to a receiver and you'll think, why is he throwing it to him? And it's because pre-snap, that's the look he wants. Hurts is really good there at identifying that is not going to work against cover two man. You do not want to throw a deep shot. Oh, sorry, against cover two zone because you get the worst of both worlds. You get the overhead safety and you get the cornerback underneath who can uh, change it. Post-snap, read that. Then you've got to check the depth of linebacker. Then you've got to wait for Devontae Smith to come open because it's not an easy or it's a slow developing play. It's just a great ball. And it's a really, really high level throw. Um, Jaden Hurts, with his rookie year, if you told me he's completing that, I couldn't, he wasn't completing like smash. He wasn't reading cover two and throwing it over the cornerback's head when they were wide open. And now he's eliminating what's not there and getting back to his uh, second. I, I hate talking about read, second, third read. I don't care. If you count AJ Brown as a post snap read, then it's not his first read. So I, I don't really care about that. But just eliminating what I think he was going to do, first of all, and then getting back to what actually is there against that coverage. Uh, it doesn't get any better. It literally doesn't get any better from the pocket quarterback position. Um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and, uh, you know, s- single high, let it fly uh, is my favorite football adage. My second favorite football adage is cornerbacks lie, but safeties tell the truth. And that's yeah. why, I mean, you open that, you open that throw. He's not looking at the cornerback to see if AJ Brown beats him. He's watching the safety because yeah. cornerbacks lie. He can, the cornerbacks can do funky things with their coverage to make it look different. The safeties tell you everything you need to know. And as soon as that safety goes to Brown, he knows this isn't what we thought. This is not a single high coverage. This isn't cover one man or cover three zone. They're spinning coverage here. I need to get to the backside because I've got a concept that beats that in drive levels, high low, whatever you want to call it coming across. And he does a great job. Yeah. And final thing, because then we really do need to get to the defense, but um, the way the Cowboys disguise that coverage is really good as well. That's a really well disguised cover too. Like that cornerback looks like he's in man coverage with Vontae Smith. He really does not look like he's playing as a deep, safety so that is not an easy um post-snap read that is a tricky one you call young callbacks will take a few seconds to figure out what's going on you haven't got that in the nfl he eliminates that outside receiver quickly like he is reading that thing fast and he's processing at a really high level right now yeah absolutely so that'll do it for our offensive takeaways we're going to throw it to a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the defense stay tuned Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... 
that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We are back here on the Shane page, turning the page from the offense to the defensive side of the ball. We're each going to give you three takeaways from the defense. Johnny, I'll let you lead us off here. What was your first takeaway on the defense? Right, so we're going to give a random player, a, uh, do I say shout out? I don't even know. I have no idea how to describe Zach Cunningham in this game. Like he had some of the best plays and some of the worst plays. I think I like him because he plays with his heart on his sleeve and he plays everything 100 miles an hour. And you've heard me talk about run game. I've also got a bit of a soft spot for anyone who can play the run because I just don't like getting beat by the run game. So let's look at two reps to sort of sum up or a few players you're going to show us sum up Zach Cunningham. Um, against the run, he is so aggressive. So this one, I actually nearly tweeted out. I saved it. The, the way he plays this and also the strength to push Tony Pollard out of bounds. Um, there were other plays he had later on in the game where the, the the aggressiveness the aggressive nature of his game is so so good against the run it sort of doesn't get any better um and you know the obvious play that i'm assuming everyone's seen i'm assuming you're going to tee up at some point as well uh, it's number uh, eight i believe on my thread is when he um prevents the td by hitting Dak prescott who's trying to escape that is a big 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 time play like touchdown there changes the game completely um and he reads that really well he diagnoses it quickly. Um, if you're watching on the screen, you can see the video clip here. Uh, Dak actually does a good job, I think, getting out of pocket when nothing's open. Um, and a lot of a lot of quarterbacks score a touchdown there because Darius Slay is not a particularly good run defender. The strength that Cunningham has, like he's got a big upper body. He takes on linemen and they feel him when he stacks them. Um, and here, he this is not easy. Dak is not a small dude. Um, that is a touchdown. Like it looks like a touchdown. Then you have snaps where, oh my goodness, was he bad in coverage this game? I mean, like, the Eagles didn't do him any favors. And don't get me wrong, we're going to talk about Sean Desire. We're going to talk about some of the personnel decisions in this game. When he was in man coverage, I burst out laughing at one snap. He tried to press everyone. He was either killing the receivers and they were falling down or stumbling, or they were just walking past him. Um, I could show so many, but I won't. So I'm going to show the last play of the game, if you don't mind. So clip 11 on my screen. I mean, I know you're going to do something on a little bit more of general clips. So I'm going to talk later on about this play for a number of different reasons. But on the final play, Zach Cunningham literally is in a press man on the tight end. He just stands there and tries to smash him. Like, there is zero coverage technique here in the slightest. There is no, there's nothing. It's so, it would be like what you'd do if there was somebody who's never played football before and you said, right, just go there and smash him at the line of scrimmage. He's not talking about like George Kittle here. It's what Jake Ferguson or whoever. Like, that is not good enough. So I'm a little bit lost with what the hell the Eagles do with Cunningham because 
he might be their best linebacker at the moment, which is a bit depressing, but I think he probably is. Um, he's also their most reliable, but he has some reps in pass coverage in this game where you go, what is going on? The good news is I think I have a plan anyway for Zach Cunningham. And I think we're going to get to it later on when we talk about personnel and Sean Desire. The simple truth is he should not be asked to do that ever. So as long as he's not asked to do that, then I think we'll be okay. Um, I'll let you fire off some plays about Zach Cunningham because I know you had a few takes as well. I know he's someone you watched a bit more closely than me. So um, anything in particular that I missed or anything in particular you wanted to share a light on in terms of Zach Cunningham's play? Yeah, the, the, this particular play is one that I really liked of his. He's going to carry the tight end up the seam here and he's going to be targeted. He does a lot better job. He's inside. He uses the back side or the back end of the end zone to help him as a defender. Doesn't get his head around. You don't really expect a linebacker to do that. But generally, I think Zach Cunningham coming downfield is great. As a run defender, he had a few plays where he like sniffed out screens. Obviously, the play where he turned Dak into a helicopter is a lot of fun. Uh, here's another view of that one. There's some issues, like there's one play earlier where he's got some communication issues uh, with Dak or with James Bradbury. Here you see him coming downhill in the screen game. But this was a play early in the game where he has some communication issues with Bradbury. Like if you watch him at the, he starts to follow, he like, he goes the wrong way and then he chases this guy and Bradbury's jumping up and down, like waving his hands. There's some issues in coverage there. I think at times there's also some issues of the Eagles putting him in situations. He absolutely cannot win. And we're going to get to that. I think when he's in the run game, he's a huge plus in the pass game. Some plays he will like send the tight end into the shadow realm and other plays he will whiff completely. Generally, I think he's a plus player. I do think good offenses are going to be able to target him. I think, you know, tight ends are going to continue to be a problem for the Eagles, which isn't great when you are about to chase Travis Kelsey into Dalton Kincaid. Um, but I enjoy watching Zach Cunningham overall. Um, I, I just... I just wish there was like a really good coverage linebacker to pair him with. And the Eagles don't really have that right now. So I'll have a full all 20. I'm planning to do a full all 22 video on Zach Cunningham. Uh, and I'll talk a lot more in depth there where I can use a whole bunch of plays. But generally, I thought he was good in this game. I don't think he's as good as PFF said he was or as Eagles fans think he was because of his leading the team in tackles. Generally, he was a positive in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think literally I am the same. He's he's a funny player, man. I think I said to you by text, he's all or nothing. Yeah. In coverage, he's all or nothing. It's either, wow, this is a great press and the guy is falling over and stumbling or he's beat by 10, 15 yards. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to link my second and third point together. So I'm going to throw it back to you because my final two takeaways, I'm going to go on a massive rant and talk about and they're very linked together. Um, talk about Reed Blankenship because I loved Reed Blankenship until the last two weeks. You watched him closely this week, and we're going to try and do that every week, by the way. If there's certain players you want us to watch, tweet me on a Monday because I get to the film as early as I can uh, or tweet Shane, and we might try and mix it up. So this week, for example, we said we'd both look at Cunningham, um, but you said you were going to look at Reed Blankenship in particular. So that's something we can add to this podcast as well. Give us a tweet, and we can focus on it. We can't hit everyone in one episode. It's not possible because um, NFL takes so long to watch it in depth. So what did you see from Blankenship? But I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I didn't watch him as closely as you did this week. 
I thought Blankenship did a pretty good job in this game. I thought last week he struggled. I wasn't watching him as closely last week. I thought he did a really good job this week. I've got five plays here that I'm going to show. The first one is the opening drive of the game, and he draws C.D. Lamb in the slot and man coverage. More on that in a minute. Uh, I think he does a pretty good job. Does he get away with a little bit of like a hold or a DPI at the top of the route stem here? Yes. No flag. I don't care. He gets the Eagles off the field on their opening drive. Uh, later in the game, this is down in the red zone. The Cowboys score a touchdown. They motion C.D. Lamb across the formation, and Eli Ricks travels with him. And so James Bradbury has to replace him in some of the responsibilities here. So you see him walking down towards the line. And this is just going to be a little like, I, I don't know if it's RPO, if it's a play action. I think it's an RPO, a little slant flat. And Blankenship's too slow to get out. And Ferguson gets in for the touchdown. That becomes important because we're going to see it later on. So file that play away. We're going to come back to it. Uh, this third rep is another one where he has to play C.D. Lamb in the slot, and he's doing it from depth. Uh, this is also a really bad Zach Cunningham play, by the way. If you're watching Zach Cunningham, totally ignore the tight end. Let's just watch that first. Uh, Zach Cunningham has man coverage responsibilities on the tight end who is running up the seam, waving his arm because Zach Cunningham decided to be a hole defender. I don't know what he's doing there, but coming down from safety, I mean, he's looking like a split field high safety and he comes down to cover CD lamb. And I think he does a good job on this pivot route and he gets a hand on the ball. Should CD lamb catch that? Yes. Reed Blankenship still gets a finger on it and, and it breaks that pass up. I thought that's as good as you can ask a safety from deep coverage there. So, you can see it from the back view. He dives and gets just enough on it to make that be a drop. On this next one, they're playing cover three, and he's the center field safety. And I, I could, I would like to see him step down a little faster to this tight end on the post route, but he still is able to get there and impact the catch point, and the ball comes out. But what I really loved is we get down here in a crucial situation. This is a fourth and goal, and it's going to be the exact same play. There's no motion this time. Two by two set. Tight end is just not attached to the line. He's going to run the little flat route. You get the play fake, throwing it to the tight end in the flat. Yes, he runs his route a little short, but look how much quicker Reed Blankenship breaks on it this time. He doesn't play the run at all. And it's a catch. It's a difficult catch, but he's able to keep him out of the end zone. So uh, I, that was a really encouraging one for me to see him recognize a mistake he made earlier in the game and fix it in a crucial fourth and goal situation. I really liked what I saw from Reed Blankenship this week. Uh, I definitely thought he was the best safety on the field. Uh, I thought he played better than Kevin Byard. And, you know, seeing him bounce back from a rough week against Washington was really good to see. Yeah, I was very close to doing a Kevin Byard segment this week. Um, I didn't because I still want to give him a little bit of time to settle because I think he's playing a totally different role, totally different team. So we need a little bit more time. He didn't have the best game, Kevin Byard. Um, I'm going to get back to him. Just quickly before I get to my point, Shane, the first, the Cowboys touchdown where you um, rightly pointed out the re-blank and chip uh, was slow to get out. I, I must admit, I watched it a few times and I don't think he has a choice. So I think this is the, one of those examples where actually I'm not blaming him at all. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Again, I say this every week, but we do not know the cause of these plays. But if you watch it again, um, this is a play where Nolan Smith is on the field and they like using Nolan Smith in goal line situations, which is quite strange. And Nolan Smith is obviously told 
to basically go inside. So what often happens, you call it a scrape exchange, call it whatever you want, you'll get the edge defender going inside. And then if the quarterback was to say, keep it, um, linebacker safety or whatever would have outside. I think Blankenship, and again, I do not know. I think Blankenship's responsibility here is actually as a run fit for almost like an edge defender because Nolan Smith is not playing um, Dak at all. He almost gets near him because he's a really good athlete, but he's not playing him. So I don't think Reed Blankenship has a choice but to take a step down in the run game. So I really see that as just sometimes on defense, they call the perfect play for your perfect defense. I think that's what happens there more than anything. And I think the difference on that play later is that Joshua is not getting inside as much. He's attacking the edge defender. I don't think Blankenship has as much of a run fit on that play. And again, save us every week. I don't know because I'm not in the room, but that would be my interpretations. Actually, that's quite positive because that was the one maybe bad play we mentioned. I think you could possibly say actually that wasn't even a negative against him so much. And um, you also get, agree with that. Yeah. You can also get a bit into guessing tendencies on fourth and two. Cowboys are pretty unlikely to run it out of shotgun into your five man front. So there's a, there can even be a little bit of schematic guessing going on there. Even if he had a responsibility, you probably don't maybe play the most technically sound there and you just bail out of it playing tendencies as well. Yeah. Right. I have waited since 24 hours to have this moment and speak about my next point. So I'm going to go on one a little bit. And I don't like moaning about coaches because coaches know far more than I do. Um, They know their players better than I do. I have no idea what the Eagles were doing this week in pass coverage on a lot of snaps um and i'm going to be fair cd lamb is excellent and Dak prescott is excellent um i don't think Dak maybe is a top five like some people say but i think he's quite clearly eighth ninth or whatever he's, he's got some limitations but he's very good i think this is a great example of seeing what your defensive coordinator is like because in my opinion the cowboys offense biggest problem is that they've got one dude um we've got three in terms of smith uh got a, a AJ brown it seems to me like you stop C.D. Lamb, they don't have much else. Like Tony Bollard doesn't give you much these days. He clearly is not a foundation back. He's actually a good example of somebody who is much better as a role player. Then you've got Jaden Tolbert. I mean, Gallup. I mean, Brandon, there, there's not a lot there. So this game is all about stopping one man. And that one man went for 11 for 191. Career um, high in reception yards or receiving yards. Uh, and there you go. And there you go. And I want to talk just a little bit more about structurally about what the Eagles defense does. So a little bit of scheme nerds out there. The Eagles defense last year was boringly good on third down. They were a zone-heavy defense. They played zone match. And when the Eagles got Sean Dazar, it was basically, oh, it's another Fangio guy. It's carrying on what they do. I see, like, no element to Vic Fangio in this defense. Like, except for the post-snap rotation, it's their match zone is not really a match zone. When they go cover free, it looks much more like cover free. Um, yes, they play some quarter, quarter, half, but I didn't see a great deal of it in this game either. They play so much man coverage. Like, and it's funny because every Eagles fan in the offseason, myself included, by the way, was saying, press man, yes, we need some more man coverage. Because I was thinking, this team can play a lot of man coverage. When you've got Maddox, Slay, Bradbury, they can't right now. Bradbury's not playing very well. Slay is fine, but he's not an elite cornerback who can match up one-on-one as much. And they lost Maddox. And they haven't got a slot defender currently. Um, and when Bradley Roby comes back, let's be honest, we're crossing our fingers, but we still don't really know if he's going to be good enough. So I'm going to go on about two different things here. My second and third takeaway, I'm going to combine this week because I can. It's our podcast. We're going to combine them. Um, man coverage and personnel because they go to hand in hand. They were my three points. The Eagles had a third. They, the Eagles had a couple of plays earlier on. So first fourth down of the game, 
uh, play one on my film thread. It's fourth and one. So I, I get it. They're not expecting a deeper route from CD Lamb. But it's just Eli Ricks on him in the slot. Like, yes, I saw some people say, are they not bracketing him with a deep safety? I don't think they are. I think that's straight up cover. That's just cover one. The deep safety ends up running over to CD Lamb because he's wide open because he runs straight past Eli Ricks. And without Reed Blankenship, by the way, another good play by Reed, that's a touchdown. Yes, they're not expecting that on fourth and one. But if you're going to go heavy man coverage, why are we asking ERX to play CD Lamb one-on-one? Um, James Bradbury gets absolutely burned, by the way, by Michael Gallup at the bottom of the screen. So don't want to see that either. Um, it wasn't just that snap, though. Then later on, there was a third and 14. This is Fred. This is play three on my snap as well. Third and 14, right, two-man. I'm all right with two-man. Two-man's a really good coverage for late downs because you can get an extra safety on him. But they're not keying CD Lamb at all. This is just straight up two-man. Now, it's a hell of a throw and catch by Dak Prescott, like, or by throw by Dak Prescott, catch by CD Lamb. But you end up getting, like, Darius Slay getting the safety help because of the um, route from the receiver on the post, which means, once again, you've got Eli Ricks totally one-on-one. And, by the way, do not look at Zach Cunningham in one-on-one coverage in the middle of the field. Like, it is wide open. I'm going to talk about wide that. Wide open. Yeah, wide open. Like, I I, I have no idea what they're doing here. And I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to come back to this play later um to talk about my third point i'm gonna give you one more example there's one more example later on as i look um no there's not i'm gonna scrap that we're not gonna talk about man coverage anymore i'm gonna talk about personnel so do you know what roll the same play this is good podcasting i want to know what the eagles do with their personnel why do we not have a dime package or a big nickel package i am at a bit of a loss about what we are doing so third and 14 you've everyone's played Madden it's third and 14 they you are playing two man okay the Eagles have Zach Cunningham on the field still and the Kobe Dean on the field still Zach Cunningham is covering a wide receiver which is what you're going to talk about I bet there is no motion here there's no disguise there's no late motion this is straight up we're playing two man with two linebackers on the field why why do we need two linebackers on the field and you might say oh well the Eagles are really injured the Eagles have got Sidney Brown. Sidney Brown can play. And actually, Sidney Brown is probably big enough to play dime linebacker if you really want. And they've got Josh Job, who is perfectly fine. So stick Josh Job in the outside and then say to Darius Slay, go and follow CD Lamb. If you're going to play man coverage, at least use personnel that allows you to do it. If you're going to play two man on third and 14, put more cornerbacks out there. Like, I really struggle because you're not, sometimes you can say, oh, the cornerback can't do like a, a hook curl flat. I, I get that in the middle of the field. This is not that. This is straight up man coverage. This is two man. Why do you need Zach Cunningham and the Kobe Dean on the field at once? Now, what the Eagles did do, I'm going to give Sean Desire some credit, is they recognized that this was absolutely not working. So then later on, there was a third down uh, and they went to more zone. If you play clip five of mine here, um, this is the Eagles of last year. This is just straight up quarters zone match. Play four on three on one side, play three on two on the other side, rally to the ball, tackle. The other thing that zone gives you here is you don't get matchups. Because when you play like three over two and four over three, you don't get Zach Cunningham covering one on one a receiver. You don't get CeeDee Lamb on Eli Ricks. It's much more of a team game. 
People got bored of this last year. I never did. I loved the Eagles Zone match on third down. They were so good at it. I have seen James Bradbury do it. I've seen Darius Slade do it. I've seen Blankenship do it. Yes, Kevin Byard is new, but I'm, I'm sure he'll be okay at Zone match. In fact, I think actually when I watch Kevin Byard, he's not as great in man as people think. And he's a better zone defender as well. So I don't understand why they're not playing more zone on third and long. When they do play man coverage, why have they got two linebackers on the field on third and 14? I don't need to see two linebackers. They even had two linebackers at the end of the game when the Cowboys have got like 10 seconds left to score a touchdown. There is no chance they're running. I'm watching it thinking, am I insane? Is Josh Job, is he terrible now? Like, I've seen him play fine. And the last one I'm going to mention before I uh, go insane, the Eagles did adjust. But it took till the second to last drive and they moved Darius Slay and he followed C.D. Lamb and it just looked better. Yes, Darius Slay will get beat by C.D. Lamb, but you know what? I can accept it. If Darius Slay loses to C.D. Lamb a couple of times, I'm all right. I'm not going to come on here on my own. You put your position, your players in a chance to win. You put your best cornerback who's paid a lot of money against their best receiver. So if you look at clip 11, I thought this was the best thing they did. Uh, it was the fourth down play when everyone moaned about James Brad or the Cowboys fan went, why are we throwing to Tolbert against Bradbury? Well, the reason why they did it was because actually they do bracket uh, C.D. Lamb on this play. And they don't just bracket him. They bracket him with their best quarterback. And by the way, this was not the only snap he moved around. Darius Slay later on did move around. So my huge question is, we're not going to talk about Zant Cunningham again in this play because he is completely burned on fourth down. And yes, the Eagles still, I'm going insane chain, they still have Nicholas Moreau and Zach Cunningham out there when it's fourth and long and they're never running the ball. But anyway, let's move on. You could literally just take off Zach Cunningham and put Sidney Brown on that play and you're completely fine. But anyway, um, why does it take to about the second to last drive or third to last drive to put Darius Slay on CD Lamb? Why, when they play man coverage, are they leaving two linebackers on the field? Which means that when the Cowboys put three or four wide receivers out there, you're naturally getting a linebacker on a wide receiver. It just is easy. It's so easy. Um, I mean, they had... There was other snaps. I could talk more about this game. I just didn't get the emphasis on man coverage. I didn't get the role of the linebackers in man coverage. And I didn't get the lack of attention paid to CeeDee Lamb. I know the Eagles have plays in their play, but we have spoke about them doubling up Cooper Cup and bracketing him more. We saw them bracket Justin Jefferson. I know they're in the playbook. I know they coached how to do it. Why was it not in the game plan this week? That's what I can't figure out. I think I saw two or three snaps where they bracketed CeeDee Lamb. That was about it. All game. I may have missed some, but I think two or three. And I, I to be honest, on top of my head, I think it was two. But I'm going to say three because I'm assuming I missed one because everyone does. And you can count two man if you want as a safety over the top. But actually, it didn't end up being a bracket because the safety ended up doubling Brandon Cooks. We've got Darius Slay and Kevin Byard on Brandon Cooks and Eli Ricks on CeeDee Lamb one-on-one and Zach Cunningham on another receiver. Um it drove me a little bit insane this week. And I like what Sean Desai's done this year. I like the future of the defense. I'm not going to go mental and say everything's burning down and the gif of the guy sitting in a house with the flames around him. I'm not going to deal with that this week. I just think the Eagles need to look at their bye week and they need to self-scout their use of man coverage and their personnel packages. <laughs> and they really do need to consider how are they using certain players in man coverage. If they're going to be a press man heavy defense on third and long, get some corners on the field. I'm going to shove that defense now, Shane, and you can finish us off this week. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the defense too, because my last point is about Sean Desai. It's about their personnel usage, their game planning. You talked a lot about 
the game plan. So I want to talk about personnel. And I've got five plays here that I want to show. The first one I've already shown once. It's a good play by Reed Blankenship. On the first third down of the game, why are you allowing Dallas to get CeeDee Lamb one-on-one with Reed Blankenship? Like, Reed Blankenship wins this rep. Reed Blankenship loses this rep 90% of the time. I, I don't understand that at all. That should never happen. Put Darius Slay on him. I, I didn't understand their uh, the freeness with which they allowed Dallas to get their best receiver on a UDFA safety or a UDFA cornerback when they have two top 15 paid cornerbacks in the NFL. And granted, Darius Slay. I think Darius Slay has been fine this year. I think James Bradbury has really struggled. Put Darius Slay on CD. Like when they play, and you can't do it every play, maybe. Maybe you want to pick your spots with it, and I'm fine with that. Pick a spot sometime before the fourth quarter would be nice. Um, The second one, you talked about this play, and this one's unfortunate for Eli Ricks because I think he's got really good coverage on CD Lamb, but Dak's able to break the pocket and get the ball to him anyways. It's third and 14. They're not going to run the ball. And like you said, it's 10 personnel, four wide receivers, but the Eagles are in nickel. And I mean, look at Zach Cunningham in the slot. He's on a receiver. This looks really bad. Then you remember, this is a receiver he's supposed to be trying to cover. Why Dak doesn't hit him, I have no idea. But that should never happen, especially on third and long like that. We've got another one here. This time it's Kevin Byard against CD lamb in the slot from off coverage. Like what kind of a position are you putting Kevin Byard in to succeed? If he's playing nine yards off of CD lamb and he's got to be able to defend these two way goes, he's got no chance here. CD lamb sits down, breaks back over the middle, easy pickup of first down. There's another one where they put CD lamb in the backfield. And this was a cool play design. This is not the first time CD lamb has been in the backfield this season. And you know what they've never done? They've never handed the ball off to him. So you know this is a pass play. Don't get Zach Cunningham isolated on C.D. Lamb in man in coverage out of the backfield. But the worst one, the most egregious one, is we get down to the goal line at the end of the game. The, the Cowboys are in empty, right? They do have a tight end on the field, but this is 10 personnel. Time is running out. They are not running the football from the 12-yard line. And the Eagles are in nickel. And they put Zach Cunningham in the slot against Cavante Turpin. You know, the fast guy that almost ran back two kicks for a touchdown. Yeah, Zach Cunningham, you go cover him one-on-one. And Turpin cooks him on this route. And thankfully, Josh Sweat bails this out because this should be ball game. Look how wide open this is. Like, that's the easiest throw you can ever make if the protection holds up. It is wide open. And there is no excuse for that. There is no excuse to have Zach Cunningham on the field here. This should have lost them the game. Like this is what people should be calling into WIP to complain about this week because the Eagles lost to the Cowboys that Sean Desai on 10 seconds left in the game from the 12 yard line decided that having Zach Cunningham covering a slot receiver was a good idea. And what's even, what even makes this worse? I have a theory and and My theory is, you know, Jalen Carter jumps off sides. He gets an encroachment before this play that moved the Cowboys forward. And then the Cowboys got a false start that moved them back. That whole sequence. I suspect that Jalen Carter might have jumped off sides on purpose. 
you, you had had Darius Slay go down. You've had James Bradbury go down. You're reeling. I really think Jalen Carter might have pulled a heads up, a vet move and jumped off sides. There's no timeouts just to wait. Like, does it really matter with 10 seconds left if the ball is on the eight yard line versus the four yard line? I, I really don't think it does. You're probably not going to run anyways. If you're the Eagles, you probably desperately want Dallas to run anyways. But when he jumped off sides, both James Bradbury and Darius Slay were off the field. When they come back, those guys are on the field. That means you took Josh Job off the field. You took Sidney Brown off the field. Leave one of those guys out there. Like I would understand if Slay and Bradbury were both still hurt and you're just sh so shorthanded at cornerback. This You're coming off of two penalties here. Your full roster is available to you. Put Sidney Brown in that slot. Don't have Zach Cunningham in the slot. And they're comfortable playing Sidney Brown. They played him off and on throughout the game. I didn't understand it. I thought it was horrific personnel usage by Sean Desai, and it should have cost the Eagles this football game. Yeah, I'm going to finish it here, and then I'll let you do the odd outro because I'm going to go a little bit insane. I, the only thing I would say, and I, I don't like to criticize coaches too much, but I've said many a time before because they know way more than me. Um, I would assume that they've had too much to work with this year. And I'm not defending him, by the way. This is just my rational take of trying to think of what the hell is going on. With injuries, with new players, they basically don't have a dime package right now. That's the only thing I can assume. I can literally assume it's not in the playbook. In terms of when they're game planning, it's not there. I haven't seen like a dollar package, six DBs or whatever. If it's there and they see the Cowboys go out in 10 personnel with four receivers and they know they're playing man coverage, and they choose to play nickel, then I'm long-term concerned, because that suggests that basically Desai is one of those coaches that this is my way, this is how we play, I want two linebackers on the field. And if you're ever stuck to a, philosoph a philosophy like that in football, other teams will pick it up quickly and expect to see a hell of a lot of four wide receiver sets against with teams who have got four wide receivers. Again, not every team does. Not every team runs a lot of four wide receiver sets, but... The Eagles have got to really self-scout the way they do things on defense and pass coverage, in particular with that nickel package. And I'm hopeful that when we come back after the bye, we're going to see a little bit more of it. But I'm going to leave it there because I could say more. I will say more in the article, but hopefully that has given everyone uh, a little bit of excitement in terms of what we want to see moving forward. Yeah, um, I'm just hopeful, like you said. There's been injuries. You've got Kevin Byard and you've been rotating players. My hope is that you come back from the bye, Kevin Byard is comfortable, Bradley Roby is back, you've got other options you can get out there for a dime. Sidney Brown is a... I mean, you can still play it as like a nickel. Just put Sidney Brown in there instead of Nicholas Morrow. And then you still have Zach Cunningham to fly downhill and destroy people on running plays. Sidney Brown does the same thing. Like That's what I hope to see coming out of the bye. Uh, I have been willing to get... I've seen this for a few weeks. I've been willing to give it some latitude because of the injuries. That's got to get cleaned up, though, because it should have cost the Eagles this game. So hopefully moving into the Chiefs week, uh, the Eagles will be ready for that. That is going to wrap it up here for this episode of On the Shane Page. Sorry to leave you guys on a negative note here. Maybe we should have ended on the offense. The offense played great, uh, I guess, until they didn't at the very end of the game either. But And we beat Dallas. And we That's beat Dallas. So That's what matters. Just a reminder for everybody out there. You may often leave these podcasts feeling like we're nitpicking. That's what all 22 stuff is all about. Like 
honestly, I find I tend to find myself contrarian. Like when every when the Eagles are winning, I tend to talk about like the things that aren't going right. And when they're losing, I tend to be talking about like, but this is what went right because it's not the things people are focusing on. So you're going to get some contrarian, uh, some zigging where everybody else is zagging on this pad- podcast. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, please do leave us five star ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, let us know what we can do to make this show better. Like Johnny mentioned, if you guys will tweet at us on Monday before we get to the film, let us know. We can try to highlight like a specific player each week or something like that. So that's going to do it for our Eagles Dallas film review. I, we haven't talked about bye week. I don't know that we're going to do a show, but we'll definitely be back in two weeks to break down the Chiefs film. Uh, I'll be around to do one. Um, I've got some ideas, so we'll talk off it. Okay, uh, maybe there will be a bye week show because Johnny's <laughs> got some ideas. So uh, regardless, you guys keep it tuned here to BGN Radio and we'll be in your feed when we're in your feed. Until next time, go Birds. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.